Our scripture reading today is in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 22. We're going to start in verse 14. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that, this, that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks for it. And he said, take this and share it amongst yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and he gave thanks for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But here at this table, sitting amongst us as a friend, is the man who would betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? The disciples began to ask each other, which of them would ever do such a thing? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Again, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for, for what it is for our lives. We thank you that you can still speak to us through this book, Lord, this living book. Lord, we thank you that you still love us so much to want to speak to us. Lord, we ask again for this service that you would, that we would hear from you. Lord, that we would set aside all distractions. We would be able to pay attention, Lord, that our hearts would be attuned to you. Lord, I ask you, be with Pastor Doug as he comes. Give him strength in his voice. Give him resolve for what he has studied. And Lord, let him come boldly speaking your truth. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible says when the time or when the hour had come. What's interesting about that statement is something like this. Not only is it in reference to a specific event, but it turns now the page of why Jesus really came. Prior to this announcement, prior to this, what the Bible says, the hour has come, there were a number of times in the, in the Gospels where Jesus said, my time has not yet come. Individuals wanted Jesus to do things, or individuals tried to get a hold of Jesus, and he would remind people and us today that my time has not yet come. But now, when the hour had come. It's amazing that how much of our lives are controlled by time. We have to get up at a certain time. We have to be to a place at a certain time. We have to eat at a certain time. We have to shop at a certain time. We need to work for a certain time. Time, time, time. What makes that statement ex exciting to me is that Jesus now is with his disciples, his apostles. And he says, now is the 
time. I read an interesting article that highlights the fact that this individual who wrote it over time continually was given instruction that the communion service is supposed to be somber, it's supposed to be heavy, it's supposed to be weighted. You're not supposed to look around at anybody, you're supposed to stare at the floor. You're not to pay attention to the six-year-old behind you that says, Mom and Dad, why can't I have a snack like everybody else? But I see in this particular passage, in this event, it wasn't that heavy. Because Jesus gave thanks. It was a celebration. And when you go back to the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Exodus chapter 12, where the first Passover feast began, I can imagine it being a time of somberness, a time of, if you will, not knowing really what's going to happen because Moses said, whatever you do, don't come out of your house. And make sure that you, before you go into the house, make sure that you put the blood of a lamb on the doorposts. And thus the angel of death will pass over you. I suspect in that realm, it might have been pretty heavy, pretty somber. But yet in reality, it is also a time of thanksgiving. Because God was about to do something that he hadn't done before. Jesus is about to do something that he didn't do before. In this particular passage, as well as in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as Paul reverts back to this, and the other Gospels, they all highlight the fact that Jesus took what everyone knew they had to do, and they changed it. He magnificently brought a new understanding to something that had become a tradition. In this passage this morning, I'd, I'd like for us to focus on four things. First of all, we're going to look at the Savior's heart, then the Savior's teaching, then the Savior's announcement, and then the disciples' question. The Savior's heart. Notice what he says in, in, in verse 14. He said, when the hour had come, he sat down with the 12 disciples with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Fervent desire. Uh, that word translated fervent, fervency, means not just an excitement, but it also means a hurriedness. It's the same type of feeling, same type of sense, if you will, that, that children and, and adults like me get when it gets to December 24th. Is that, that excitement, 
that anticipation that gets all worked up and then all of a sudden December 25th comes and after all of the tapestry is gone, we realize the day goes on just like any other day. But this word here, fervency, I have a fervent desire. In other words, there wasn't anything that was going to interrupt it. There wasn't anything that was going to stop it. Up to this time, you might remember, Jesus said, my time had not yet come because of this. My time had not yet been designed because of this. Now, there was nothing to stop it. There is this anticipation, there is this moving forward, there is this Culmination, if you will. For he now, he says, because I have to suffer. Now that phrase is not new either. As you remember, Jesus, throughout the Gospels, periodically reminded his disciples that I'm, I'm going to die. I will suffer. In fact, it's important to you that I do that. Because if I need to do that, so that you no longer have to fear about death. You'll no longer have to wonder about eternal life. I'm going to die. But here he puts that in now with the Passover meal <clears throat> the text tells us that Jesus says I'm, I'm not going to eat this with you anymore until it comes to the kingdom in fact I can almost give to you the indication that even though the disciples partook of all of it, Jesus did not. He did not. He reserved the right in order that the disciples would come to a full understanding. Now, can you imagine as the elements, a number of them, in fact, in my research, there are at least 15 or 13 to 15 steps in the Passover meal. And as each one is going on, Jesus is not partaking of it. Can you imagine the discussion of the disciples? Why, why isn't the master doing this? Why isn't our teacher, Jesus, why, why is he not partaking of this is he sick no and Jesus has a reason for it because he reveals that reason later on in that evening prior to this Jesus sent two of his disciples to prepare everything they would have had to be gone in the early morning in order to prepare everything that needed to be done for 
this Passover celebration. What is also interesting is this. Is there some discussion amongst theologians that Jesus partook of this with his disciples prior to anybody else celebrating the Passover. Because John's Gospels tells us that Jesus, when he was nailed to the cross, was the day that the lambs were prepared for the Passover meal. God's lamb, as Paul describes for us, he is our Passover lamb. And leading up to the Passover, there are seven days is known as unleavened bread. That there was to be a self-searching, there was to be a self-engaging, a self-preparation, if you will, for what was to come. They were to eat only unleavened bread. Yeast was not to be there. There are some that believe that the reason being is because it was to yeast represents sin, and in some passages it does. But the purpose of unleavened bread, if you go back to Exodus chapter 12, you will find out that the reason for the unleavened bread is because God was going to take the nation of Israel out of Egypt quick. There wasn't time for the bread to arise. Now, obviously, the communion service does remind us, as the Apostle Paul says, we are to do introspection. We are to examine ourselves. But if coming to the communion service is about being sinless, then I'm here to tell you that none of us could do that. It's a reminder of hurriedness. Now let me draw on your memory a little bit. When the last trumpet and the voice of the archangel sound, how long is it going to take us to get out of here? In a moment, twinkling of an eye, quick! Yes, we will be translated, transformed, if you will, into a sinless place, a sinless condition. I understand that. But the unleavened bread was a reminder to the nation of Israel that God is going to do something and it's going to be fast. Get ready. Now, we should inspect our lives. We should take time, as the Apostle Paul says, to make sure that we don't come here in an unworthy manner. I, I understand that. But yet, Jesus, isn't it interesting that why he would not have eaten 
the unleavened bread at this time if it was in reference to sin. He's the perfect Lamb of God. That at the onset of his ministry, John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul tells us, He who knew no sin became sin. For us. And as the evening progresses, our, the Bible says so, he took a cup and he gave thanks. There are four cups that are instituted in the Passover celebration. The question is, is which one did Jesus pass? Which one did he bless? Which one is he referring to as we get along in our passage? The four cups that are mentioned is kind of interesting because it's at the time when God tells Moses, this is what I'm going to do. In Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7, God tells Abraham, this is what I'm going to do. And each one of the four cups represents a promise from God. The first cup, I'll bring you out. It's the cup of sanctification, the setting free. God said to Moses, I have heard the cryings of my people. Therefore, I will bring you out. The second cup. I will deliver you. It's a cup of deliverance. I will deliver you from the taskmasters, from your enemies. I'll take you out of a land that is not yours to a place that I have promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'll deliver you. The third cup. I will redeem you. The cup of redemption. I will redeem you. I think the greatest illustration of that terminology being redeemed is given to us by a prophet that God said, go and marry a harlot. Now, you know the account. And pretty soon his wife is on the auction block because of her life. She's about ready to be sold for pennies and wasted. Yet her husband comes and purchases her back to his arms. She was redeemed. In fact, that's what the word means to be brought from the slave market. Redeemed. Israel 
God said, I will redeem you. Third cup, last cup. I will take you for my people a cup of praise. And it would be usually at that cup where individuals would begin to sing one of the psalms from Psalm 90 all the way up to Psalm 95, the Halal psalms, songs of praise. The question is, which cup was Jesus referring to? In, in verse, if you will, verse 17, when Jesus took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He's already said he's not going to partake of the supper until the kingdom of God. Now he says, I will not drink of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Which one of those cups is he referring to? Most scholars believe it's the first one. It's the beginning of the Passover meal that he is sharing. And the first one is always a, a thing of thanks. I will, as God said, bring you out. Thank God. As the evening goes on, as they go through the many steps, then Jesus takes the bread and does something with it that the text doesn't give us any indication as to what the disciples thought, but you can at least injecture as Jesus broke it, gave thanks, and he gave it to his disciples, and then he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my body. I, I kind of wonder if maybe the disciples had a difficult time understanding what he meant by that. Other than the fact that most likely they had forgotten the previous ex exclamations that Jesus said, I've got to die. Now they're faced again with the reality that they can touch, they can smell, they can see, and eventually they're going to taste. Jesus said, this is my body which he goes on to say, which is given for you. It's not long before you read the Gospels when you understand that was the mission of Christ, to give himself away. Jesus even said that as he had the conversation with Nicodemus that God so loved the world that he gave. I've come to give life to those who are lost. This body, this wafer, this bread that is broken is given for you.
What's amazing about that is that we can take this as a literal time, and in fact, we should. But it has a much more elongated meaning. In fact, it is even today. He gave himself for us unequivocally. The writer of Hebrews sort of capsulizes when he said, for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, suffered the shame. Jesus said, I give it to you. Remember when Jesus also said that no one can take my life. I give it to you freely. Yes, the hours that follow this, Jesus will be nailed to the cross. We know that. But the only reason he could be nailed to the cross is because he wanted to. He was giving himself for us, to you, to me. Then it says, likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying. This is where the confusion comes. Which one is he talking about? Which cup? Some say that it's the fourth cup. Because doesn't it say after the supper? Well, you've got to remember the supper was only a part of the Passover. There were things that followed. There was again the taking of herbs, bitter herbs. There was the telling of stories. There was hiding of things for children to see and search for. There were questions that the children were supposed to ask. Some came before the official meal, the supper, but some came after the supper. This isn't the end. Which cup is Jesus offering? It's the third one. The cup of redemption. The Bible tells us how we are redeemed, doesn't it? We are redeemed, as the hymn writer says, by the blood of the Lamb. Here is where we get the significance when he says, this cup is, if you will, my blood. For the purpose of instituting the new covenant. Now we got to stand here for an hour. Not really. What's the new covenant? Let me give you that. You write them down. You go back and read them. Jeremiah chapter 31, 31 to 34. Also repeated for us in Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 through 7. 
This is the new covenant. What is it? It's a twofold promise. A promise to Israel that God has not forgotten who they are. He will redeem them. He will provide for them. He will reestablish them in a land that he has promised to give to them by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But there's a part in that new covenant that is relative to us Gentiles. And that we will also be forgiven of our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the giving of the third cup, the the cup of redemption, Jesus says, I'm giving it to you. You take it because I'm going to provide it. Then Jesus gives an amazing announcement. Someone here is going to turn me in. A betrayer is amongst us. Previous to this passage, we know who that is. Because Judas Iscariot, at the beginning of chapter 22, makes this deal. He's disappointed with Jesus. Jesus isn't the one whom he thought he should be. And now what's the use of staying connected to him? I'll sell him cheap. 30 pieces of silver, according to the word of God in the Old Testament, is the cost of a slave. Is cheap. Judas sold Jesus. Made the deal with Jesus. Or for Jesus. Made the deal with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. To turn him in. And Jesus says, he's seated here. He's at the table. The interesting question that the disciples ask is, who could do such a thing? Who could do this? Now, we would be so quick to denounce Judas Iscariot and what he did, and maybe rightfully so. But can I ask you a question? How much are you willing to sell Jesus for? Would would we be so quick to denounce Jesus by our actions? Would we be so quick to stand in the shadow of Judas Iscariot because we're disappointed? That Jesus isn't who we thought he was. Would we be willing 
to forsake our Savior in order to follow the ways of the world. And that's what brings us to this table. Theologian wrote when he said, We remember the Lord Jesus for his death as in the past. When utilize its power and provision today, and we focus on his return that is yet to come, past, present, and future. Jesus calls us to come to this place that we might remember what he has done for us. I'd like for those gentlemen who are here to gather back and as we prepare to disperse the elements from this morning.